Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas and Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I have an excellent resource I want to share with you. The title of it is Nine Ways to Disciple Your Husband While Submitted to Him. This is a fantastic topic. I want to talk about the advantage that husbands have when their wives are disciple makers and their number one disciple outside of themselves, of course, is their husbands. And so if you want to read this wonderful article, you can do that. Nine Ways to Disciple Your Husband While Submitted to Him. It's right on our website. And I have a video, I have a podcast, and as always, you can read, watch, or listen. So please take advantage of this. Let me jump into it because it is really, really good. One of the primary responsibilities of a wife is to disciple her husband. She is the number one sanctifying human agent in his life, outside of his own personal responsibility, of course. Nobody knows more about him than she does. To disciple any person well, you must know them well, and who knows a husband better than his wife? She has seen him during his best days, and she has experienced him on the worst days. What he does to Keep others from knowing him? Well, it's more apparent to her. Thus, the million-dollar question is, how does a wife provide soul care for her husband? Well, I want to talk about this, and I'm going to give you nine ideas. But before I do that, I think it would be wise to talk about this idea of equality and submission. There's some bad teaching out there, and I hope that this will help clear it up just a little bit because there are two things that I would love to see happen from uh, this article here is that husbands catch that vision and realize what an asset uh, their wives are, and then also wives catch a similar vision and take advantage of the opportunity. Now, granted, this would be easier to accomplish if both of them were in sync. He sees it and she sees it. I have often said that my wife is my number one discipler for this very reason, the things that I am saying here. I think that a husband would be foolish not to take advantage of that asset. Who knows you better than anyone else? And so that is a key in this idea. And therefore, I think it would be wise to talk just a little bit about equality and submission because some people, because of their views, they don't take advantage of this opportunity. One of the Lord's advantages, which makes him so practical in our lives, is his care for us, which flows from his knowledge about us. Because he knows us so well, he can care for us effectively. Now, in a similar, albeit a, a finite fashion, a wife has the inside scoop on her husband. She does not know everything like what God knows, but she knows more than anyone else. He may put his best foot forward in the public domain, but she is pretty familiar with both of his feet. 
Now, this is where some people have confused biblical submission. The implication of their teaching is the wife is inferior to her husband. Nothing in God's word supports that notion. A better view of a wife's role in marriage is like Christ in his humanness. Now, he is co-equal with God as far as the Trinity is concerned, as far as his godness is concerned. But I'm not talking about that. He was not submitted to the Father in, in his godness, but he submitted to his Father as a human. He was made flesh. I'm talking about the, hypost- the hypostatic union here, that he was 100% man, and he was submitted as his role as a man. Now, this is an imperfect analogy. I understand that. But a wife, in a sense, if I can make the imperfect analogy, she is equal to her husband as far as her ontology goes, her state of being. He has nothing on her that would make him better than her, but she is also subordinate to him in her role in the marriage. And so equality and subordination in this instance are not at odds with each other. In fact, you will find this true in many roles and relationships. It's similar to an employer. The employer is no better than the employee, but there is appropriate submission between the employ- between the employer and the employee as the employee submits to the employer. It is the same for children. I am not better than our children, and neither is my wife, though I am the leader. I do not view them as inferior, not children made in the image of God. I mean, even babies in the womb have a full dignity of humanness and image-bearing. They are respected and loved and honored just like any human. There is co-equality pre-birth, whether you're a child, whether you are an employee, whether you are a wife. And so we have a responsibility to step into our roles fully in context of what I'm presenting here, I am talking about wives. Sometimes I have framed it as leading from behind. And what I mean by that is that roles and relationships do not negate each other. Making the wife co-equal with her husband an essential and proper worldview of leadership— The wife is responsible for bringing biblical care to her husband. He is her brother. He needs her discipleship care because he, like her, struggles with sin. Now, maybe he is not her brother, meaning he is not a believer. He is not a Christian. He's an unregenerate man. Well, he needs her evangelistic care. Either way, whether He is her spiritual brother, or he does not know the Lord. He needs her speaking into his life because sin is not uninterested in him. Nobody has more contact with him, and nobody has more insight into his life. And so she must go into all the world making disciples, starting with herself as her primary disciplee, as she disciples herself, and then her husband comes next. And so she will have to come to terms with her discipleship responsibility. 
leading someone while subordinate to them is an everyday opportunity. It does happen all the time. It does not have to feel like being in front demanding that they follow you. Some of us have an immature or maybe even a twisted view of what leadership is. Yelling at while waving people forward, well, that creates robots, not followers, not mature Christians. It may be helpful for a subordinate follower to make a distinction between leading and leadership. Leading, narrowly defined, is an assigned task that expects followers to follow to accomplish an expectation. Let me give you an example. A teacher might single out a child in the class and put them on point to lead the group to the cafeteria. That is a narrow definition of being a leader, but I am talking about leadership, which is different in some aspects to what I just talked about, illustrated as leading. Leadership is more comprehensive and nuanced. It does not always have to mean being in front. Jesus led by washing people's feet. He led by giving his life to others. He taught a counterintuitive leadership model. Some people only see leading as a single-dimension way, the painted-faced squadron leader taking the hill with his loyal troops scrambling up behind him. This perspective is a potentially skewed view of leadership. I cannot help but wonder how many Christian women realize the leadership power that they possess. How many of them know how to leverage their leadership ability in the lives of their husbands? If they have any view of leadership at all, typically it is the either-or belief that our culture believes I'm either in charge of you or I submit to you. Those are the two options, and they are, they are exclusive of each other. I will dominate or I will become a mindless follower. This kind of illogicalness creates leadership competition within the marriage. The husband fights with his wife for the home's leadership, wrongly defined, of course. His wife will fight back because she does not want his poor treatment of her. He feels his wife's resistance, and so he ratches his efforts to take charge. If he is less tenacious, he will quit leading by abdicating his role as a leader. But either way, he's going to lose. If he fights for it, he's going to lose. If he abdicates, he's going to lose. Because if he fights for it, his wife will fight him toe-to-toe. If he abdicates, she will disrespect him for being a wuss. The Bible does not teach these forms of leadership which is our competitive culture speaking, not God's word. There is a more effective way for wives to bless their husbands. And so I want to address that. You are submitted to him, but yet you have a responsibility as a leader. It's one of the things that I teach when I I go out and do public speaking. I will talk about 
what is a leader? Well, every Christian is a leader, whether you want to be one or not. We are called uh, to lead others because we are leaders. It's really not an option. The question is not, are you a leader? But the option is, how well are you leading? Uh, Every child has a responsibility to lead by representing Christ to their parents, for example. And so it's not a contradiction to say, I can submit to someone and lead them at the same time. And so I want to get into these nine ways to disciple your husband while submitted to him. They're not in any particular order, but they all are important. And maybe the first one is, it should be number one, and that is get a burden. Get a burden for your husband. Every wife has a caught husband. He is not entirely sanctified. The Bible does not teach sinless perfection. Every husband has sin struggles like everyone else. Every wife should pray for a burden for her husband if she doesn't have one already. She does this because she wants to honor the Lord, obviously. She does this by not wanting to miss out on the opportunities to help her husband in his sanctification. There's two reasons to beg God for a burden for her husband. She knows marriage is more about what she can pour into it than what she can get out of it. And that is a sign of an effective leader. The question is, what's in it for me? That's always the question. Will they be benefits for me if I esteem others more than myself? If I count others more significant than myself? I would call attention to Philippians chapter 2. Start with verse number 1 and read all the way through to, let's say, verse number 11. That would be good. Number one, get a burden. That is essential. If you don't have one, then pray. Ask God to give you one, which rolls into point number two. Pray for your husband. Prayer is a great great way to access the Trinity on behalf of the sanctification of a husband. Now, maybe the Lord will change him in whatever areas that he needs to change. Again, that is a strong reason a wife wants to pray. In addition to asking for things, God, will you change my husband? She wants to thank God for her husband. That is another aspect of prayer. When I talk about thanking God for people, it has an effect on our own hearts as we take other people to the Lord, to God's throne. I think about how Paul prayed for the Corinthians. He spent time thanking God for those mean folks. Read the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1. Paul had an extravagant love for them, which paved the way for him to correct them. And that is the order. If we do not have a growing affection for someone and then we correct them, it's probably not going to go well. And if a wife does not have affection for the person that she wants to help, the help that she offers could very well blow up in her face. Perhaps her first prayer will be to change her heart toward her husband. That has been a prayer of mine in several occasions with people in my life. Nine ways to disciple your husband while submitted to him. Number one, you want to get a burden. 
You want God to give you an impassioned burden for the man that you have married. Number two, you want to pray for him, and there's different aspects to prayer, asking for things, obviously, things that you see in his life where you would like to see God act upon those things, but also praying for your own heart because, as Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, that if anyone is caught, you who are spiritual, restore him, keeping watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. And so pray for him, pray for you. Number three, model your goal. An excellent exercise would be for a wife to sit down and write out the things that she would like for her husband to become. What would you like for your husband to be? Here's a few examples. You could say, I'd like for my husband to be humble. I I want him to be a servant. I want him to be an encourager. I want my husband to be respectful, loving, kind, gentle, and passionate for God. All of those things are good things, and all of those things will make a marriage sing. A core tenet of biblical leadership is to become the person that you want others to be. To think otherwise is hypocritical and destructive to any relationship. Expecting or demanding someone to be what we are not, that is the parent that tells the child what to be when the parent is not that themselves. To lead well is to show them what to become by our other-centered, God-honoring example. Point number three, model your goal. Number four, win, W-I-N, win them with encouragement. She must make sure her words have a building up effect rather than a corrupting, tearing down effect. A word fitly spoken can transform anybody's world. Of course, the unfitly spoken word will destroy anyone's world. We have the power in our words. You know this to be true. A wife can draw her husband to herself and to Christ by what she says, or she can push him farther away. One of the most effective assessment questions a spouse can ask is this, what do you experience more from me, my encouragement or my discouragement? What do you experience more for me? encouragement from me, or do you experience my displeasure? If she wants to lead her husband well, she will have to be courageous and grace-filled enough to check her blind spots. And she could do this by asking him about his experience with her. That's also uh, ties into point number three, model your goal if you want your husband to exercise and to be humble, exercise humility and to be humble, well, this would be a good example of that as you ask him about his experience with you. Win with encouragement. Number five, make it easy. Husbands are proud, self-reliant people who do not want to show weakness. Now, how do I know that? Because I am one. I'm a man. And we men like to pretend that we are strong and impenetrable. The macho man, throw in a little sin into the man, and what you get is a person who does not want to reveal his flaws, especially to his wife. He wants to impress, which makes a wife's condemnation, her her criticism of him more acuter. Perhaps he has given up on impressing his wife. 
still yet, it's not hopeless. It just means she has more leadership work to do. One of the Lord's most valuable ways to win us to himself is by making it crystal clear that he is for us. If God is for you, who can be against you? It makes us strong and courageous. And this is what Paul was trying to teach in Romans 8, because the people there were being killed, murdered, slaughtered, crucified, burnt at a stake. And he wanted them to know. He wanted them to be emboldened and to be courageous. He wanted them to know that God was for them. Well, we can amplify that. We can imitate that in a a smallish way. The more a husband knows that she is for him, the more she will be able to disciple him. Knowing that God is for us, it draws us on, draws us in. It is captivating and compelling. It has a gravitational pull that just pulls us into the Lord. And that is what happens when you know people are for you. And so number five, make it make it easy. Number six, pick your spots. You must learn the non-fight times to talk to your husband. A wife should be careful about confronting him head on or when she is angry, an unwise and unhelpful strategy. The moment of her disappointment is not the best time to talk about what is wrong with him. That's why you want to go back to point number one and really work it out that you have a burden for him, number two, that you are praying for him. And then when you are disappointed, you number three, you want to model your goal, uh, that what you want him to be. And so this is a time where you want to be careful. The moment of your disappointment is not the best time to talk to him. This kind of wife will likely say it badly, only exacerbating an already negative situation. Find a vulnerable time to speak with him. It could be when he is already talking civilly. And it could be when at that moment she feels receptivity to what she wants to say. Those are the moments when he's not as defensive and she's not as disappointed. Those are the two D's. If you're disappointed and he's defensive, it ain't going to go well. And you just need to stop at that point and go back to point number one and pray for a burden. Number six, pick your spots. Number seven, don't be manipulated. Sometimes a husband can become defensive using manipulative tactics rather than owning his sin when she confronts him. He may blame, he may justify, he may make excuses for his actions. He will do this to throw his wife off the scent of his sinful ways. Now, if the wife is manipulatable, she might buy into what he is selling And what that will do, it will cause double-mindedness. She will believe and unbelieve. She'll think this way and that way because he is manipulating her. She'll believe the truth and then she'll begin to believe a lie because, again, he is manipulating her. She will see his actions more clearly when she is away from him. That's when she will see that which is true. When she is within his manipulative orbit, she loses discernment. She gets lost in his noise, and her mind becomes muddled. 
some women struggle more with this than others, depending on the situation. All things are not equal. But if she does become quickly cluttered in the mind, then she needs to fixate on what is true while holding her assessments, what she thinks is true, humbly. Pulling away for a little bit, getting your mind clear. Seeking counsel may be wise. Another perspective could clear up the fog while giving her someone she can go to when her mind becomes foggy again. And so don't be manipulated. Number eight, by the way, I have an article here on double-mindedness, and I would encourage you to read through that if this is a temptation, if you are manipulatable. We also have great resources on gaslighting. Uh, if you type the word gaslight into our search uh, box here, you'll get an excellent article. We also have videos on it, too. That would be essential. Number eight, be a matchmaker. She should not disciple her husband alone. Though she is the primary discipler outside of himself, taking care of himself, she's not his only discipler. Part of her praying should be for a male friend who can come alongside her husband to help him build community, which could also quicken the process of sanctification. Before opening up to those closest to us, the typical person will open up more quickly to a third party they do not know. Sometimes it's harder to be transparent and honest and vulnerable before people that we do life with. And that's where I've seen the advantage of counseling many times that way, where people would just say things that they they, they haven't gotten to the place of humility and maturity uh, to say those things with those who are closest to them. And so consider being a matchmaker. Add this to how you pray for and about your husband. And then number nine, find community. Not just a matchmaker for your husband. Now I want to expand that. This wife must have a community to help her as she helps her husband. She does not want to be alone, alone in this endeavor. Her local church should be the best place for her to find friends to come alongside both of them. I realize that that can be complicated in, in some areas, and so if we can be a somewhat of a supplemental resource, there's no way that, one, we could replace the church, and there is no way uh, that I have any desire to do that at all. We we believe in the local church. I have a high view of the local church, and as far as our ministry is concerned, all roads lead to the local church. We are supplemental, but if we can serve you in some small way as you are transitioning, maybe in your worldview, oh, you mean I have a responsibility as a submitted human being to disciple uh, my husband? Yes, you do, and if we can help you, we would love to do that. The title of this article is nine ways to disciple your husband while submitted to him. Number one, get a burden for him. Number two, pray for him. Number three, model your goal. Number four, win with encouragement. Number five, make it easy. Number six, pick your spots. Number seven, don't be manipulated. Number eight, be a matchmaker. Number nine, find community. Now, I have a book here on marriage. Let me pull it out here. And so this is my book for those that 
aren't watching the video, I'm holding it up. It's called Get Ready for Your Best Marriage Now. This is a book. The swath of this book is from pre-marriage, those who are getting ready to get married, and then those who are married. This is a marriage book, okay? It's a marriage book, not a pre-marriage book exclusively. But if you are ready or planning on getting married, then it is a marriage book for you because that is what you are about to step into. It's not a dating book because I talk about sex and some other things that are only appropriate for marriage, but that's why it encompasses marriage, uh, pre-marriage rather, but it is a marriage book. And I would encourage you, uh, you can type this into Amazon, you can find it in our store on our website, and you can order it, and I would encourage you to do it. This is my experience, my counseling experience, as well as my my own life, and I would just encourage you to get it. There are a number of pastors that use this book in pre-marriage for those who are getting married. Others use it in small group. Others use it in marriage counseling. Some, many use it personally for their own marriage. And so that could be a supplemental resource as you think about possibly a paradigm shift here in how you think about marriage. Nine ways to disciple your husband while submitted to him. Now, what I would like for you to do is I want you to share this article, share the podcast or the video, whichever one that you use and prefer, and that is one way that you could support our ministry, and I really want you to do that. We have hundreds of thousands of people that we reach, but we can only do that because you share, and so please share. It's just a great way to partner with us. And then I also ask, would you pray for our ministry? I I have no greater desire than God's favor on what we're doing. It is His work working through us, and you could really support us that way if you would pray for our ministry. So if you would share these resources and pray for us, that would be fantastic. Also, jump on our website. Our resources are free, and so please take advantage of them. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.